So it's, a, it's just a real privilege to be here. I, I've written a book, and I think we've got a few. I brought a few copies. I think there are a few left. So feel free to uh, uh, purchase one of those. Um, I've also brought a couple of guys with me from my church. Why don't you stand up, Mark and Junior? So although they're very tall young men, they're still young men. And... Uh, <laughs> They're taller than me, but they're part of our youth group. They've been saved in the last few years, come to New Day and things like that. And they had a great teacher who kind of really crossed the divide himself in order to embrace and help them. It is uh, an encouragement to me that a church like a church in High Wycombe would do a series like this. I'm, I'm from London. I've lived in London all my life. My parents are from Jamaica. And um, the idea that High Wycombe would have enough diversity for this I was surprised at if I'm really honest but praise the Lord it does um, in, where I am it's obviously very very uh, diverse and very different my prayer for you is that you'll be blessed as a church through this you'll be blessed personally through it you need to know you're pioneering something uh, you need to know and you need to be prayerful and protective of your leaders whenever churches pioneer it's normally the leaders that carry the brunt of that so you need to be aware of that my title today is what's on the menu what what are we giving people when they come around the table of fellowship with us I want to start by asking a question and I'm going to give you 20 seconds just to talk to the person next to you about it the question is this what deeply held value or belief would you never give up what deeply held value or belief would you go, do you know what, no, no one gets past this one. This, this one I, go to the, I would go to the stake for. So I'm going to give you 20 seconds just to talk about that, just to the person next to you. What deeply held value or belief would you never give up? Okay, I, I think you've had enough time to talk about your deeply held values. I'm sure if you want to, uh, later you can carry on that conversation. Just, just to say this, just to say this, for some of you, um, that was a hard question because you couldn't think of anything. You couldn't think, oh, what do I hold so deeply that I wouldn't give it up? For some of you, are like, oh, I don't know. You might have said, oh, Jesus, because kind of that's, that's got to be the answer somehow. Um, for others of you, that question would have been difficult because you had so many deeply held values. And you're just trying to go through them. I've got this and this and this and this. And I remember um, I've been married for 27 years to Pauline. I've got three girls. When we first got married, I expressed to Pauline one of my deeply held values. And it was this. Children do not come into the bed. Yeah? No way, no how, no time. Yeah? This is a marriage issue. Big. Yeah? I remember having that conversation with her, and I was firm, and I was clear, and I was like, 
don't even, we're not even going to go there. Yeah? I remember that. Yeah, I remember having the conversation. I remember being very clear in my mind. I remember holding on. And then I had children. <laughs> yeah? And I remember my value being tested on day two. My deeply held value that children would not enter the bed at night was tested and was compromised very quickly. You see, sometimes we can hold things which we think are really deep and actually they're not really deep at all. They're not really deep at all. And that wasn't very deep uh, for me at all. Compromise is challenging for us. Yeah? And I think it's particularly challenging for, for Christians. It's particularly challenging for people who have deeply held beliefs or who are quite religious. If you're not religious, compromise, you can kind of do it. But when you're a Christian, compromise is challenging for you. And it's challenging for a couple of reasons. First of all, you think holding on to your deeply held values and beliefs is a virtue. It's a virtuous thing to do. I I hold on to these things and it's virtuous. And secondly, we think of automatically compromise as weakness. So I don't compromise, I won't compromise because when I compromise, I am being weak. And they had exactly that issue in the early church, Acts 15. I'm not going to read the whole passage uh, to you, really, because of time. But in Acts 15, you have this big discussion. They call it the Council of Jerusalem. And it's about what do we need to do to allow people to join us at the table? What is it that we need to do? The Apostle Paul was arguing that it's through faith alone. But there were others who believed that in order to be Christian, you needed to become a Jew first. And one of the ways you expressed being a Jew was if you were male, you were circumcised and various food laws you needed to live with and you needed to abide by. So they were having this argument over what does it mean to be Christian? How do we become Christian? And they all go back to Jerusalem. They have this big debate about it. And James, who was the brother of Jesus and the head of the church in Jerusalem, after they've all talked about it, he says this. We should not make it hard for Gentiles who are turning to God. Yeah. Let's not put upon them rules that we ourselves couldn't keep. And there's a question here for your church. You're going to have values that you hold. You mustn't make it hard for people who are coming from a different place and turning to God. This is what Dr. Forbes of the Riverside Church in New York says about that. He says, a truly diverse congregation where anybody enjoys more than 75% of what's going on is not thoroughly integrated. An integrating church is characterised by the need to be content with less than total satisfaction of anything. You have to factor in a willingness to absorb some things that are not dear to you, but may be precious to some of those coming in. And that was the situation in the early church. What do we need? What can we compromise? What can we allow to change in order that others might come in? Yeah, Because some of the things that we hold deeply and dearly are secondary. Yeah, They're important to us, but they are secondary to the heart of the gospel. So what does that look like 
for us today. We don't have circumcision. We don't have those things. What should be on our menu? What will make it easy for people to join us at the table and eat from our menu? I've identified four things that will help the church to keep growing, to keep expanding, to keep being rich in diversity and to ensure it goes beyond yourselves and becomes a witness to the world. But before I talk about those four things, I want to show you a video. How many of you have ever heard of Ruby Bridges? Just put your hand up. Okay, so I've got the guys here who heard about them this morning. So anyone else? No, not many of us. Few people. One or two people have heard of Ruby Bridges. Uh, Ruby Bridges, it's a, it's a story of a, of a six-year-old girl who was alive and um, went to school in, in 1960, you know, USA, civil rights movement, all that kind of stuff. In fact, um, they had just had, um, you'll remember there was a famous case, a famous legal case called the Brown and Board of Education, and that case was all about um, the integration of schools. And Ruby Bridges was one of the first African-American kids to go to an integrated school. And so we're going to watch the video. You'll see in the video, it's a stark um, way of how we need to compromise and make room. It's also a sign of how far we've come in the world in which we live. It also highlights very powerfully faith. And hopefully you'll see that as you watch it. Um, I just need to say this though. There's some of the language of the video is is not language we would use today. It's not swearing, but it's not language that we would use today. I think it very much is a product of its time. So just bear that in mind as we watch the video. She said to me, 
doctor. I told her that I wasn't talking to the people. I said, well, who were you talking to? And she said, I told her I was talking to God. Would you tell us that? Why are you praying to God? She said, I was praying for the people on the street. I said, why are you doing that, Ruby? And she said, uh, well, because I want to pray for them. I said, you didn't want to pray for them? Yes, she said. I said, Ruby, why would you want to pray for those people? And she looked at me in her eyes wide, and she said, well, don't you think they need praying for She said, I pray for them every morning, and I pray for them every afternoon when I go home. Father, we, uh, we, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you bring about such reconciliation and restoration. And Father, I ask that this morning you would um, speak into hearts today. Father, open hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've seen that video I don't know how many times. Um, but every time I watch it, I feel uncomfortable, I feel emotional, I am deeply moved. 
Watching the video itself is an indicator to us of how far the world has moved forward. Um, not all rejection looks as extreme as Ruby. Sometimes we, we reject simply by not sharing our lives, our worlds, our resources or our experiences with other people. When the families at the school that Ruby attended were told to share their space, to compromise their resources and their children, rather than share, they walked away. They withdrew. On the day that she went to school, 500 children were withdrawn from the school. She spent a whole term as the only child in that school. And after a term, some kids returned to the school. They shared the space, but they weren't allowed to share themselves. For a whole year, Ruby never played or was taught with another child. Sometimes people find it easier to give up their deeply held beliefs and rights rather than share them with another. When I don't share, the opposite feeling is maybe I hoard, but for the person on the receiving end of my lack of sharing, there's a feeling of rejection, deeply held rejection. The story has a more encouraging end though. Ruby Bridges grows up and she gives her life to teaching kids about integration. When you hear her speak now, and she's in her 60s now, um, there's no bitterness, there's no resentment in her voice. Um, the video really is a faith-building story. Hopefully as we walk through these four steps, you'll become aware why. So there are four things that I believe we need to do if we're going to build the kind of church um, that invites people and allows them at the table. And we make as fewer barriers to that as possible. The first thing we need to do is we need to create a culture of acceptance. People need to know that they are accepted. Compromise begins with acceptance. You'd have noticed in the video, there was an unwillingness to accept Ruby simply because she was black. She didn't have time to be naughty. She didn't have time to be good. She didn't have time to demonstrate how good she was in terms of her education. She was black and so she was unaccepted. God, though, and in Acts 15, verse 8, the Apostle Peter writes these words, or he says these words, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, that is the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. So God accepted people into his community, into his people, the people that he had chosen, the people of Israel, he had accepted outsiders in and he demonstrated it by giving them the Holy Spirit. You see, if we don't accept people as they are, we will never really compromise in their favour. If in your heart you can't accept people. Acceptance is a fundamental biblical value. Romans 15 verse 7 says this. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you for this brings praise to God. It's fundamental. It's the way it works. All relationships are based on that fundamental truth, acceptance. All our relationships, they're based on acceptance. Marriages work on acceptance. And if you don't get it, you can sometimes have something in your spirit where you're, you're never quite happy, you're never quite satisfied because you've never accepted. 
For us as Christians, acceptance comes in the form of what? It comes in the form of grace. What's so amazing about grace? The thing that's amazing about grace is God has accepted me and as a result of his acceptance of me, I know what it is to accept others. And that's what grace is. And that's one of the very foundations upon which a church like this I know will be built. It will be built on grace. Yeah? But God hasn't just given you grace that you might live in its benefits. He's given you grace that you might learn to extend that grace to others. Secondly, we need to create a culture of forgiveness in the church. Now, at one level, every church has forgiveness, but we need to create it as a culture that we are quick to forgive. We recognise the benefits of forgiveness. To embrace diversity, we must face up to history. We, we can't ignore history. We can't try and distance ourselves from history. There's no point in watching that and going, oh my goodness, I never would have done that. That was a culture of the time. In many ways. Ruby's prayers to God and her understanding and practice of forgiveness, they almost functioned like this protective shield supernaturally around her, which is why I believe when you hear her talk now, she doesn't come with resentment. She doesn't come with bitterness because actually she had a place to go with all of that stuff when she was six years old. Her parents taught her how to forgive. You can imagine what she might have gone through, what she might have grown up thinking. But when you think about how do we respond to rejection? Now, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a pastor, I don't, I don't have a degree or anything like that, but let me make some educated guesses on how people respond who suffer deep rejection. People often feel insecure. People often withdraw. People often feel resentful. They lack confidence in relationships. They lack confidence in themselves. They find it more difficult to trust other people. Maybe deep down there's bitterness or there's anger. Sometimes those things get buried so deep you don't see them, but what you see is this. You see people who appear to be very bold. People who appear to be very self-promoting. If you won't promote me, I'll promote myself. People who appear to be overconfident, aggressive, defensive, sensitive. Some of those things simply come from a root of rejection. And if we know that, we can respond differently to people depending on how they respond to us. We won't judge people simply by what we see. We'll recognise, oh, do you know what? There is something more to them than this. We need to take a leaf out of Ruby's parents' book and create in our church and in our churches a culture of forgiveness. What does that do for us? You know what it does. It frees you. Forgiveness sets you free. Yeah? If you have suffered deep rejection, if you can come to God in forgiveness, you will be set free. That's what the gospel is. It frees you. But it also releases other people. If you can know what it is to forgive, other people can be released from the guilt and the shame of their own stuff. Yeah? I didn't show that video to you in order to make you feel bad. Yeah? Don't, please don't sit there thinking, oh, why did he show me that? I feel really bad now. I didn't show it to you to make you feel bad. But for some people, it may have made them feel bad. But that isn't the point of it. Forgiveness sets people free. And there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. And we must remember Ruby's prayer. Ruby's prayer, particularly if you struggle with forgiveness, if you struggle to forgive somebody or somebody's, 
Ruby's prayer was interesting. She's six years old. She doesn't pray, I forgive you. She doesn't pray that because that was a very difficult thing for her to pray. What does she pray? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Do you know what? That takes off so much pressure because that's not necessarily about how I'm feeling. I'm looking to God to do the forgiving because I can't do the forgiving, but God can do the forgiving. God can bring you to that place. She prays, Father, forgive them. If you read about anyone who goes through those kinds of really traumatic things, you read about the story of Corrie ten Boom. She looks to God to do the forgiving. It's not something that she can muster up in herself. Oh, I can feel it. I can feel it. No, she looks to God for it. The third thing, the third culture that we want to create is a culture of empathy. We need a culture of empathy. One of the reasons that we don't share enough, one of the reasons we don't prioritise building other people into the table and all of that, one of the reasons that we don't do it enough is because we don't have a lot of empathy from where people come. We don't understand the journeys that people have come on. We don't know how much we need to reach we kind, of, we kind of hope they respond to us in the way that we respond to them. And when they don't do that, we're like, oh, I don't know what to do next. Empathy allows us and helps us to be able to reach. And why is that important for the Christian? Because God understands us. If Jesus hadn't come down from heaven to earth to live a life, we would all struggle a little bit that God really understands But we don't really struggle with God's understanding of stuff because he did come down. He was tempted in every way that we were. He does know what it is to be human. Yeah. So suddenly the God of the universe feels very, very, very close because Jesus understands what it is to walk on the earth, to be human, to be how we are. It's empathy. He understands. And so we need to create empathy in our churches. Just as he became like us, we need to be able to reach out to others and show understanding. Creating a culture of empathy will do two things. It moves your actions away from obligation and duty. Yeah? You will no longer reach because you have to. You'll reach because you want to. You'll reach because you, you, you're, you want to do it. You want to reach out to people. Secondly, it combats the tendency that we all have to withdraw, to be among people like ourselves because it's more comfortable, it's easier. Empathy means we will share more willingly. We'll be prepared to to cross the divide. We'll be prepared to stay out of our comfort zones in order to reach out to other people. And the fourth uh, culture that we need to create is that of a common identity. We are all in Christ yeah that's what brings us here today if you're a Christian and if you're not a Christian and you're here today that's probably what you're seeking you're looking for something the thing that unites this group of people is not that they all pay money into the into the coffers it's because they're in Christ that's what unites us that's what brings us together as Christian as Christians and so when you look at the story of Ruby you see this very interesting thing about her parents that both challenges us and is an example to us. They were uneducated, poor people who lived at a time of deep racial segregation. We all watch the video and think, oh my goodness, did that really happen? We all watch it and think that. Yet I want to bring a gentle challenge to you. 
that you have more in common with them than you do your unbelieving neighbour. You have more in common with Ruby's parents than you do your unbelieving neighbour. Why would I say that? You see, in our world today, we can... We pass the time of day with our neighbours. I don't know about you, I do this. I've got to that age of life where being 51, you know, you talk to your neighbours, yeah? And you chat about the weather. You chat about the garden. You chat about other neighbours. You chat about the car. Yeah, and, and I can relate. I can relate to my neighbours on that kind of level. It's, uh, it, and, and I'm not decrying that. I'm not knocking that. Actually, that helps the world go round, Yeah. Maybe last week, two weeks ago when it was snowing, I imagine you had conversations with people maybe you'd not spoken to before because it snowed. And you're like, you're going along and you're wondering, oh yeah, and you make comments and you smile. Yeah, it makes the world go round. Yeah, those kinds of conversations. But when you watch the video, it's very difficult to relate. I mean, when, I was, my, when my kids were younger, I used to occasionally drop them at school and the kind of school gate world I lived in was not like that. It didn't look like that. It didn't act like that. And I can think to myself, oh, how do I relate to people who are so different? <clears throat> the truth is this, though. Ruby's parents were Christian. They were in Christ, just like you are in Christ. They taught Ruby about forgiveness in the way that you want to teach your kids about forgiveness. You want your kids to be able to come to God and pray to God and understand forgiveness in moments of pressure just like Ruby did. That's what we want for our kids. We want to teach them to pray. We want to teach them to rely on God. We want to, that's all that her parents were doing. That's all the church was doing. And those are our deeply held beliefs. Yeah, We hold those beliefs even deeper than we hold conversations about the weather. Yeah, So you can relate in a much deeper way with people who are not like you because they are in Christ just as you are in Christ. The Bible says that he made the two one. That though culture is important for us all and the way the world works and the way we do things is important because of our culture, culture is not sacred. And where the cross and culture meet, culture should die. If there is anything in your culture that, whether it be good or not good, that becomes a barrier to people joining, you should think about getting rid of those things. You should create a new culture called the kingdom culture. And the kingdom culture is not purely an expression that comes out in worship. The kingdom culture is the place where Jesus reigns. And where Jesus reigns, people can come from every different background. Yeah? And they should be able to access Jesus here and now because his culture is different it, 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 it is above our cultures our cultures at times can be barriers to that very thing and there are surprising results when you do that there are three things that really that are quite surprising when you do that because you read the passage in Ephesians chapter 2 which talks about one new humanity one new man and it talks about the Jews and the Gentiles and those who were once in hostility to one another coming together it's really interesting what it says it says he created two out of the one thus bringing an end to their hostilities and bringing peace 
One of the signs that you are building a culture which is embracing of people who are coming in is in those relationships there is peace. That's because that's what the Bible says the cross has achieved. I don't just have peace with God. I don't just have peace with people who are like me. I can have peace with people who are very, very different to me because of the cross. Secondly, it brings a witness to the world. John 17, Jesus is praying just before he goes to the cross. He prays a number of things. One of the things he prays for is, I pray for those who will believe because of their message, the disciples' message. He says, I pray for those people. And I pray that they will be one just as we are one. And he talks about, I am in you and you are in me. Why does he pray that? So that the world will know. The unity and the peace among believers is one of the signs that Jesus is truly the Messiah. And the third thing is you can experience heavenly worship. In Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, it talks about the people from every tribe, tongue and nation are gathered around the throne and they are worshipping the Lamb. Because it's, it's because of the Lamb that they can gather in that way. And we can have an expression of that here and now. Because of what Jesus has done, we can gather people around the throne. And if you read through Ephesians 2, um, at the end of that passage, it talks about creating a, a building, a place where God would dwell by his spirit. So he dwells in a place which is full of people who are different. Those who are far off, those who are near, they're all brought in. And he dwells in that place. So what does the church need? Well, it's not so much what the church needs. What the world needs is a church like this to win on this issue. It needs you to win. It needs you to do what the Apostle Paul did, was, was, yeah, there are some things that we need to compromise, but we must hold true to salvation is by faith alone. Yeah? And it needs us, a church like this, to go, do you know what? Ephesians 2, we need to build a church that really brings people from different backgrounds together and it brings peace. We must do it. Our world needs you to win. And secondly, the way you win is you, you trust God, you have faith in God for it. So this is not a moment for you all to look to Neil and go, Neil, come on. You heard him, come on. That, that is not the answer here. Yeah, The answer is not that. The answer is that as a collective body of people, you go, God, you know what? We trust you. We know that you're able. We know that you can do this, that you have made a way for this. We know that and we trust you, we look to you and you build it together. Because the truth is, it's not your table. This table that you're inviting people to, it's not your table, it's his table. So make it reflect him. It's not your menu, it's his menu. So make it something that people can come into. It doesn't matter whether it makes you feel a bit more uncomfortable. Church was never about making you feel comfortable. It was never about finding your best mates. It was always about taking a gospel, taking a message to the world. 
Yeah, that people would see God through this place. People would see Jesus through this place. And that's what this is really about. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, just uh, a wonderful opportunity to be in this wonderful church. Lord, tackling such issues. I pray such a blessing over this place. I, I pray, oh God, that as this church are faithful and obedient to what you're calling them to, that they would see such a rich blessing. I pray, Father, that they become such an example to the town that they're in, that people would, would understand something of who God is because of this place. I pray, Father, that you would continue to give uh, the leadership team here boldness and courage. Lord, we all need courage. So I pray you would give courage here. I pray you would bring faith here. People would believe, oh, I believe it. I trust, I'm looking to God. Father, I ask for any here who uh, need to deal with some stuff, whether it's forgiveness or whatever it might be, I pray, Father, that, that they'll deal with it. Lord, I pray that people will get rid of their excess baggage, their history, and they'll allow you to work. Open hearts, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.